In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the prophet Micah, chapter 2. The prophet continues his condemnation of injustice and oppression which was prevalent in Israel. Through Micah, God denounces those who devise evil schemes and exploit the vulnerable, and he warns them of the judgment that awaits them for greed and cruelty. This chapter highlights how powerful, how the powerful, I should say, were confiscating the land, displacing families, disregarding God's principles of justice and compassion, and much more. And Micah underscores that their actions will lead to their downfall and the loss of all of those ill-gotten gains. Good morning and blessed, well, Advent mostly, right? I suppose Advent doesn't begin till Sunday, but close enough, folks. Today is Friday, December 1st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, Do me a favor, go learn more about all their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. And we're live this morning, so feel free to call in with your comments or questions to 800-730-2727, or you can email them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message there, and I'll try to get your comment or your question out on the air. But for now, let's welcome our guest today. It's the Reverend Doug Gribbenaugh. He's a pastor and also the mission advocate at KFUO Radio. Good morning, Pastor Gribbenau. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, brother, and good morning, brothers and sisters. It's always a treat to be here with you and uh, and doing so live today. That's uh, uh, Are you a little bit nervous? Well, you do this more often than I, right? <laughs> I, I, you know, I have to say, so, so if people haven't caught on by now, I record two episodes a week and the rest, uh, the other three are live. And that's just because of my schedule as a pastor, because the truth be told, I would go live every day. I actually enjoy live. I feel like it, you hear more of my mistakes, but I feel like it keeps me on my toes. And I don't know, I think there, it has a little bit more energy to it sometimes, but you know what? The show's always great when you're on, so I'm just happy to have you here. Oh, it's, it's great to be here. And, you know, there's a reason that we gather live on Sundays, right? Because, you know, even if you have that mistake, the Holy Spirit's grace, he he, he brings forth good things, even from uh, sometimes when we step in it, right? <laughs> so. Oh, yes. Well, and, and that kind of goes for like right now, like wh- where are we in the church season? You know, I think yesterday I said Advent. Today, I mean, I know that Advent doesn't begin until Sunday. I think it's the Sunday closest to St. Andrew's Day is the rule of thumb. But in any case, here we are kind of in this weird in-between time uh, between the end of the church year and when we begin the beginning of the church year. And, well, both the end of the church year and Advent, really our minds and our hearts turn toward Christ's return. I know a lot of folks are counting down to Christmas and that celebration of Christ's first coming, which is amazing and wonderful. But at the same time, what we're really looking forward to is Christ to come back. And that that feeling, that sense of, of longing and waiting for Christ to come back is one that all God's people did as they waited for Christ to come the first time. But what we're seeing in a prophet like Micah in his text, although he will eventually be the one who points forward to Jesus being born in Bethlehem, but he is basically addressing a society of God's people who have really all but forgotten God. And so in this context, nobody's waiting for anything from God, and that's a problem. 
And you know, it's what what we are experiencing ourselves. We're we're stuck in this strange little uh, in between time of the kingdom that has been inaugurated in the death and resurrection of Christ, and the fullness of that kingdom that is yet to come. And so we're stuck in that. Well, is it is it now and not yet, but fully yes and no, and it's this weird tension that we live in. And of course, then the problem is too: the longer we wait, the more apt our minds are to wander, and perhaps even our walk of life, as we see in 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 the culture. So that's all to be said that we haven't changed all that much as human beings mm-hmm. since Adam and Eve. <laughs> No, because you think about it. We, we think of even God's people in the Old Testament as a monolith. We just think of them as like sort of one person who's faithful and do, doing the sacrifices and, and waiting for the Messiah. But that's really not the case. In, in, in many ways, it's not a whole lot different at all than today, where you certainly have a faithful remnant, but so many are just ignoring the the work of the Lord and his will and his ways. And that's what prophets like Micah, and he's prophesying around the same time as Isaiah, and and both prophets, as you might imagine, have similar messages from God, because they both have the, you know, the same sender, and and all of these are about, I guess, the coming exile. Um, God God is going to be judging the people for their lack of faithfulness. Um, This is during the final days of the northern kingdom, and I suspect that there are people during this time, even though they probably could see the uh, Syrian threat on the horizon, they probably thought, you know, things will never change. The, the kingdom of Israel will last forever. And so many people think about that in their respective countries today, but especially in the United States. People couldn't imagine the United States not being here. And yet the Lord reminds us that even whole nations that turn away from his will can receive judgment. And, well, you know, in this case, the judgment takes the form of being exiled and being conquered and oppressed yeah the things of the created world you know the grass and the and the flower you know they they wither and fade but the word of the lord endures forever and that's why our study of it is so absolutely vital in in our walk of faith as those redeemed by christ well, whether folks out there have already started ticking off the days on their advent calendar or whether they're very they're very much a stickler and they're not going to do it until sunday um, I think it's a good idea for us to start our time off together Amen. in prayer. So whether it's an end of the church year prayer or an Advent prayer, just just pray for the Lord's blessing over our study today, if you would, brother. All right, and let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, without your help, our labor is useless, and without your light, our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word, that by due diligence and right discernment, we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And we all say amen, right? Amen. <laughs> amen. Right. I was reaching for the mute button. To uh, uh, no worries. So <laughs> I just wanted to hear the cheers from all the people in their in their homes listening, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Everybody, everybody wave at your radio for that's right. uh, our pastor. You know, um, I, when we last talked, we just got through the first chapter, and, and honestly, the first two chapters, well, all of it is a, is a serious condemnation of sinful behavior, so none of it's super, I guess, uplifting in a way, but we ended chapter one really with absolutely no hope. I'm just going to be honest, no hope. The hope comes in right at the end of our chapter today because even in the midst of all of this judgment and woe, 
God reminds the people that he's still with them, though. There are consequences to sinful behavior, but at the same time, God is not abandoning his people. He's disciplining his people, and we're going to see that come out in our text today. But yesterday, when we covered this, even verse 15, I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Merashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, or as our guest from yesterday uh, preferred it, the uh, uh, the scavenger, the vulture, for they shall go from you into exile. So we really ended, not that Micah was writing down the chapters and verses divisions here, but we ended the last section with this promise that, well, exile is coming for you. Uh, anything else you want the folks to know before we start tiptoeing into chapter two? Well, you know, it's not a wonderful thing always to be a prophet. And and Micah oh. was a contemporary with uh, with Isaiah as well. And we know of him as you know, the iron prophet, and he didn't have very pleasant things to say either. And the problem with being given this revelation uh, to proclaim and to speak to to hard-hearted people, is they're not going to like you very much. We don't distinguish between the message and the messenger very well. And the prophets have a very hard task, as do our pastors, as, as do our moms and dads, right? You know, when we have to give that law, uh, it, it stings and it hurts, and it, it feels very much like, well, on the receiving end, very much like hate, right? Oh, this is, this is awful. And yet the Lord is giving this word for the purpose of loving these people, to call them back from this sin and to call them away from the temptations of the world that, they're, that they've been imbibing in and, and reveling in, to call them away from their own sinful selfishness and to, you know, to be unsinned, right? Sin is that, that word that we, you know, you're curved in on yourself, to pull away from that. And to look again to the one who has given and continues to give every good blessing under heaven. And that is the Lord God. And he's made these promises. And over time, over and over again, he's fulfilled his word. He's given those prophets to expand on that promise, the one that was made in the Garden of Eden, the promise of the Messiah. And yet, as we have to wait, and as people sometimes lose sight of what the Lord has promised and what is yet to come, he has to call us out and shake us up. He has to use that law to, to shatter the illusion of the world and to turn our eyes back to the enduring truth of his promise, of his word. And this second chapter then picks up with, well, continuing this, this theme of despair, of this law, uh, with, uh, with a word you really never want to hear in, in Holy Scripture, woe. And that's where it picks up with chapter two. Yes, it begins, woe, which is uh, essentially like, uh, well, actually, it's almost exactly to the Yiddish word, oi, right? Oi vey. Well, woe is that is connected to that. It, it's a word that simply means something really bad has happened. You might say it in if you were in pain. You might say it if you were um, um angry about something or even afraid of something. Um, it's a call of lament. It's a call of exasperation. And so, yeah, when you see the prophet basically 
shouting out in pain, but then he's saying, because, as we're going to read, of your wickedness, then I think we really start to get to, see, get to see about how the woes of the Bible, which typically is just some sort of, you know, God's dissatisfied and there's going to be problems. Well, let's read it and see how it all connects together. Chapter 2, verse 1, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. I just want to pause there. It certainly keeps the flow going through four and five, but we, we see these first three verses and, and I guess this is a woe pronouncement of, of God on the people. And I love how it begins by talking about those who are essentially just laying in around in their beds, thinking of ways, thinking of ways to oppress their fellow man. And it really covers the, the wholeness of their, of their walk of life. Because when they're sitting in their beds, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you're, you're there with your thoughts. Uh, and what, what are their thoughts occupied with? But how to cheat and to steal and to work evil and to oppress the neighbor and to injure and harm others for the enrichment of themselves. That occupies their entire thoughts as they go to sleep, as their mind in the, in the dark hours is, is dreaming and scheming. And when they wake up, their hands and, the, and their walk of their life, their feet are occupied with doing this very evil and wicked thing. So their daylight hours are spent performing evil. Their evening hours and their sleeping hours are are spent dreaming of evil. It is the entirety of of what they do. They're consumed by by this covetousness, and that's a and that's that's a woe. It's it maybe is perhaps you know it's the end of the Ten Commandments, right? You know, Commandment Nine, Commandment Ten, uh, but by no means is is that any less important than the preceding eight commandments. You know, the the woe is coming. Because of the wickedness, and and it's it's interesting to note that in verse one, why is it that they do it? Why do they perform it? It's because they can. Mm-hmm. They have the power to do it. Not that they should be doing it. Not that they have the authority to do it. The right to do it. But they simply have the power to do it, and unrestrained. Uh, by by civility, uh, by by morality, by a love of God, it is what they do. They are consumed by it, and it reminds me of of uh, Luther, you know, talking about the, the the fallen and sinful condition of man, the bondage of the will. Right, that aside from the gospel, before we are called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ by the Holy Spirit, you know, through the gospel, that we are slaves to this sin. Sin consumes our minds, sin consumes our hands. We are these wicked ones who devise and work evil day and night. And it's only by the gospel that that wickedness is is restrained, that we are set free from that to walk a different way, to walk in the way of the Lord. What I think is striking about this particular passage, too, is when you think about who these people are, 
Now, it's just called Woe to the Oppressors. At least that's how the ESV editors titled this section. And in chapter three, it gets very specific about the political leaders and the religious leaders. Here, while I do believe it it, it it contains a warning to religious leaders and and political leaders, but it really does encompass all those who are oppressing someone else simply, as you said, because they could. And what's what's fascinating about the, the Hebrew here, and I don't usually dig into the Hebrew too much, but when the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. Well, the Hebrew word power there is the word El, El, just like an Elohim. It is the word for God. Um, now, when uh, it's not uncommon to apply this to people, and when it's applied to people, it talks about power, just as it's described here. So there's no translational issues. But if I could be a, a little uh, a little loose with it, what is it about someone having the power to do something? It's like they think that they're God, that they can act in the place of God, that they don't have to answer to God. So in many ways, when people put their own abilities and reason as the as the power in their life, as the L, as the God of their life, then they they don't see any reason why they shouldn't or couldn't use their whatever advantage they feel like they have over and against someone else. And, it and, is. and I've met people, too, who do this, and, and many of them think, well, those folks deserve it because they weren't as smart as me or they weren't as careful as me or they should have been looking out for themselves. And the fact that they got away with it is evidence that it was okay for them to do it. Right. I, I just I see that underlying this text. Go ahead. The whole idea of might makes right. And, right. and that's that's really the, that's the way that the world likes to work. But this betrays the, the oldest and I think most attractive sin that, that man has ever faced. And it was the one that, that the devil used in the garden. You know, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because then you will be like God. You can be God. And so here, you know, seeing this word L, uh, you know, to have that power because because you can be like God, it takes us right back to that to that first sin from the Pandora's box, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, out of which all the corruption in the whole world sprung was this this idea that you could be God. You could be like God. Just eat this fruit. Yeah. And then it can all be yours. You'll have the power. Right? Now I'm going to think of He-Man, right? You know, screaming with the sword over his head. I have the power, right? I have the power. <laughs> so, we're well, dating yeah, ourselves, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm thinking of a Castle Grayskull playset that I had as a kid. But in any case, um, you know, we have this this concept of power. But you 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 said they wanted to be like God. Now that's pride. Uh, mm -hmm. It's having a false god. But it's really covetousness. It's to look at God and say, I'm not satisfied. I'm not content with the way he made me. I want that. And this, this covetousness, maybe even more than pride, I feel, and this is just my opinion, but I feel like is behind so much of the public sin of our life. Everything from our economy, which especially during this time of year is, is very evident, is based on the idea that whatever you have isn't good enough. You need to have what your neighbor has or what this very attractive actor has or whatever whatever the advertising tells you you should have. It's always the car commercial with the giant bow on the hood, <gasps> right? You have to have a new car every Christmas. I can't even yeah. afford the bow. I know, but, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. And and of course, you know, you're making $40,000 purchases without telling your wife. That, that never seems to 
be part of the commercial. Yeah, they, 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 they don't show the return <laughs> you know, the next day. <laughs> but oh. but even even some of the social sins, and I'm you know some could be very sensitive to folks, and I'm not trying to be disparaging here, but even sort of the gender identity crises that we're seeing, it's a lot about like well. I want what is inherent to that gender for me, or I want what I believe is inherent to that gender, et cetera. Um, we can even explore uh, the the idea of families. You know, there are people who uh, reject the idea of family and disparage those who have families. But at the same time, there are people who say homosexual couples who adopt children because they want to have a family, even though that's not biologically possible for them. We're always like, Going after what God has not given us, going after what God has not um, um, blessed us with, and we're just never satisfied. So I don't think it's surprising then when we go into this next section, next uh, verse 2, that that's what they're doing. Verse 2 again, they covet fields, and so they have the power, so they seize them. They covet houses, and so they take them. They oppress the man and take his house and his inheritance. So I don't know exactly how that looked like on the ground in the time of Micah, but I certainly understand the concept of, like Luther said, getting things in ways that aren't entirely right. They're probably doing this legally according to the customs of the time, but it doesn't make it right. And, you know, it takes us to really to the, to the small catechism, you know, coveting your neighbor's house, coveting your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor – Wanting that which is not yours, you know, and that, and that's coveting. It's the keeping up with the Joneses. It's you know, and I'm guilty of it as well. You know, you see the commercials on on TV, uh, or or you just you you really want that new thing. But in my own experience, because I I am a sinner and I sin, uh, when I have gone around things. And have ill-gotten gains in my youth. You know, I I really wanted this thing, so I made it happen. You know, I've found that it, it's not gratifying. In fact, it actually is usually hurtful. It's, it's harmful. It's, it's that grass is always greener thing. I want that. And then when you finally seize it, uh, you find that it's not nearly as attractive in your hand as it was off in the distance. And that's so often what the Lord's law is doing for us. It's saying, you know, don't go this way because it leads to hurt, to harm, to pain to you and to your neighbor. And and if we understand it rightly, chiefly and first, it injures God, right? We have sinned against God and against our man and against ourselves. And and the, the Lord's law is not meant to, to be a restraint in the sense of, of you know, little kids who feel like, oh, I can't have the cookie, my dad's so mean. But that what your sinful flesh desires will not yield good, but will yield poison and evil and hurt. And, and out of love, he wants to keep us and safeguard us from that. And, of course, these oppressors here, uh, not only are they, are they going to ultimately injure themselves right by these ill-gotten gains, They've also taken from their neighbor everything, which is even their own ability to sustain themselves. And that's where we talk about a man and his inheritance, the ability for his family to live, to take them and make them absolutely destitute uh, so that they they cannot even uh, survive. And really this with a sense that these folks couldn't care less. They weren't strong enough to keep it from me. It's mine now. 
and whatever happens to you happens. And so the Lord, uh, and, and this is and one of these things, again, in Hebrew, right? You were talking about the ale. Uh, but uh, here in, in God's response, right, in, in this proclamation from Micah of what the Lord is going to do, right. he picks up on, on, on a word. And in the first verse, it's these who devise wickedness who work evil. And it's that very same word in Hebrew that the Lord is, is going to echo back to them. Because in in this use, when the Lord is is declaring his judgment on them, uh, the the Lord says, I am devising disaster. And that word disaster is the same word as that evil. So, you know, the Lord Lord punishes sin. And oftentimes, you know, I, I, I think it was Walther who said the Lord uses sin to punish sin. Not that he creates it, but that he uses the, the things of this world, the fallenness of this world, to, to punish so that there is, I, I think also the teaching, to see that sin begets sin and it begets pain and injury. And so the evil is going to then be yielding disaster. And the Lord is, is bringing it upon these who work evil. Same word in the Hebrew, and it depends on which side of the, of the divide that right. word renders as either evil or disaster. Well, and obviously we understand why the ESV editors, when attaching it to Yahweh, wants to render it disaster rather than evil. Because he's not the author of evil. Amen. Right. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I think, let's say just f- for what it's worth, we'll render it evil or render the other one um, disaster. That's okay. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But what I think is interesting, too, is we see the poet, the poeticness of this uh, proclamation. I mean, we have the parallelism, which is, you know, I guess probably a third of the entire Hebrew Bible is in parallel uh, in verse two. But even here, woe to those who devise wickedness and work disaster or evil on their beds. And then I I love how God comes along and says, well, I'm devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. There's this 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 power play where the people who think that they're stronger than God lay around in their bed and they think of all these evil things. And God comes along and says, you feel like you have power. You've made your own power your God, but I'm devising a disaster. I'm devising an evil, like to connect it to them, that you're not going to be able. Your power is not going to be able to to remove you from. You're not going to be able to get out of that situation. And as it says, you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of evil or a time of disaster. So he's talking about that coming Assyrian invasion, but he's making sure they know that all for all the power that they use against other people, the bullies that they are, that they cannot, they cannot bully God. He's going to prevail. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, why don't we think about that just for a few minutes. When we come back, we'll pick up with verse four and keep on going through Micah chapter two. We'll see you on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge 
to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend Doug Gribbenaw. He's a pastor, but also the mission advocate at KFUR Radio, doing an amazing job there. And we are talking about Micah. Well, we're talking through Micah. We're in chapter two. Before we head back into chapter two and finish it up, I just want to let you know that if you have any comments or questions, you have some feedback, um, you know, you can reach out. You can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You know, I monitor that throughout the show, and and every now and then you'll hear me share one of the comments that I get while we're on the air. So if you want that to be you and you have a comment or question for our guest or you want me to answer it on the air, just send me a message. You can also send that same kind of message through Facebook. I'll get that on the air. And if you are daring enough, you're welcome to call into the studio. It's 800-730-2727. It's really easy, folks. You, you call the number. A gentleman will answer. I think today probably his name will be Ian. And, uh, you know, you can just talk to him and tell him what you want to do. He'll get you on the air. But I tell you what, why don't we get back into the text? Because that's why we're here. Uh, Let's keep on going, brother, because even though it's only a short, say, I think it's what, 15 verses or something like that today, I, I... we have a lot to cover. And we have two pastors, and everyone knows pastors like to talk. <laughs> Occupational <laughs> so, hazard. Amen. Well, let's with uh, sorry, let's keep on going with verse four. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot. In the assembly of the Lord. All right, that's the end of verse five. Now that really goes along with the verses we've already been covering. This is sort of the same message. And but, it's really it's the echo of now and and to be. Mm-hmm. Because this, yes, the these are the words yet. that those who have been oppressed, right? Who who've had their, their houses and their fields and and their inheritance all stripped away. This is what their words are, right? You know, and we're ruined. And he's taken all of this apostate, you know, this faithless one, because this this is the the people of Israel, right? This is your brothers and sisters, right? And this is not how you should treat one another. So, so to be an apostate, you know, one who's really just not not a part of the family, you know, taking that away from you, and yet this is going to be the words that will be in their own mouths when when the Assyrians come in, right, and take this truly apostate, you know, those who stand apart. Uh, from the Lord God Yahweh, uh, so these very words that they are compelling their victims to speak are going to be the words that will be coming out of their own mouths when the Lord's disaster uh, is going to come upon them on account of the evil, the wickedness that they have done. You kind of understand looking back at uh, verses like this and declarations of God's prophets in this way. That people like Dante, right? We think of Dante's Inferno Mm -hmm. (laughs) and very much a political document more than a theological one. But in Dante's Inferno, in his levels of hell, the punishments were often uh, ironic. They were often um, ones where people endured what they made others endure. Now, that's fiction, of course. uh, But here we see 
there, there kind of does seem to be a reason and a rhyme to the judgments that God gives. And, and I think that's because God is not punitive in his judgment, at least not this side of Christ's return. He's not just punishing people so they can feel bad. In this case, this is discipline. You are going to experience what it was like to be the victim of what you did. And of course, and the hopes are that in the future you will not do those things because you know what it feels like. And you'll have empathy. I mean, I think that's part of the Nothing reason else. why so many parents do that. You know, you're taking this toy from your son. I'm going to take that one from you. And you see how that feels. It doesn't feel good, right? Next time, don't do that. So there is this sort of, you have that sense of walking in another man's shoes almost, especially in the shoes of your victim. Empathy is so important for mm-hmm. Christians. Oh, sorry, not yeah. my microphone. Well, for Christians, that's right. You were you were for just ready for that. That's right. Yeah, for Christians, but also for pastors. I, you know, when I was getting my first degree, so my 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 bachelor's degrees in criminal justice, applied criminology, I think they call it now. It's very fancy sounding, but in any case, uh, one of the classes I took talked about people who are addicted to drugs, um, and my professor said something like, "You know, first off, people don't take drugs because they make you feel bad." You know, basically there's a motivation, there's a, there's an impetus, there's a, a, an actual people getting hooked on these things and then, and then struggling against it. And if you've never experienced that, it's, it's a little hard to be empathetic. You look at people who are using drugs or maybe stealing to buy drugs and you just say, well, they should stop those things. Well, I bring this up because I had a back uh, accident. I had an accident, slip and fall and it injured my back, which still hurts to this day. Um, this was when I was a pastor, my, my first call a couple of years in. And the doctors prescribed for me all of these non-opioid treatment methods, but the insurance company wasn't interested in paying for any of those. So I got um, just, uh, what is it? A morphine, right? Mm-hmm. Morphine pills. I took those regularly and religiously according to my doctor's instructions. And at the end of the time when it was time for me to wean off of them, it was the most ex- miserable experience in the world. I had not abused them at all, and yet I still was experiencing extremely painful withdrawal symptoms to the point where I actually had to call the nurse one day laying in my bed, and I just hurt so bad. And she's like, well, do you have any uh, on hand? I said, yeah, and I took one in, in two seconds. It was actually about 15 minutes, but still, all the pain went away. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so much easier than fighting through the pain. All right, so I bring up that little story to say this. That gives me so much more empathy for those who are struggling with addiction, even though I didn't abuse them, I, I have a little bit of an idea of what it feels like to try to kick it. And, and so that uh, changes my perspective on folks. Well, that's how all Christians should be. We should reflect on our own sin so that when we encounter people out in the world who are struggling with a sin or maybe can't kick it, even if it's not something you struggle with, we need to remember that, you know, we're fellow beggars, as Luther might say. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, we, we, and we need to be honest with ourselves, each and every one of us has that sort of one favorite sin of our flesh. And maybe it's gossiping, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, pornography addiction, maybe it is, you know, the abuse of alcohol. But there's all of these sort of favorite sins that our flesh has grown a callus against, right? So, so the sting of the law isn't as strong and we keep turning back to it over and over again. And it's, it's so hard. Especially hard if you don't recognize the, the the sin for what it is, but it's so hard to fight through that, right? To to fight against that one sin that is, that has been walking alongside you so much of your life, 
and it is. It, it's it's a struggle, I would say, akin to addiction, because it is it, your your sinful flesh is addicted to this particular activity that is against the Lord's command and against your own flesh and against your neighbor, and it's a hard thing to do. And and really, each of us should take a moment in in our in our reading of the of the Ten Commandments as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper on Sunday, right? Of, of, and, and look to what sins are still clinging so tenaciously to our to our sinful flesh, and 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 to and to look to the Lord to relieve us of that, and to help us endure and and, and to work through that sin instead of giving in uh, or, or returning to it again because because that's easy and because you know as you say as the pain goes away right. Yeah, it is. It is something that we all have to remember. And people do struggle with different different sins too. And and we don't know what their life struggle is. Now, with that said, I think it's also important for us to re- remember that as Christians, though, we are called to to reject those sins, Amen. to strive against them, to rely on the Holy Spirit and, of course, uh, Jesus's forgiveness. So we don't want to just give in to the sin, but we also don't want to pretend like we are without sin. And that kind of takes and, us. Okay, go ahead. Nope, I was going to shift gears. Because well, I was going to say that kind of takes us into this into this verse six, uh, because one of the, one of the things in in this world where we sort of give up and say, well, whatever, you know, we, we maybe are seeking out preachers who are going to you know give the scratch to our itching ears, who are going to tell us what we want to hear, and not right. God's word that says you know this is a sin and and you should struggle against it, and I will help you. The Holy Spirit will will strengthen you, but instead we seek out preachers who tell us. You know, what we want to do, who fill us with, with wind, right? And that sort of comes up with verse 6 then. Let's look at verse 6. It says, do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has Yahweh grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Just pausing there at the end of nine. Yeah, so I love that. Do not preach, they preach. One shouldn't preach such things. And the such things are that disgrace or judgment will come. Yeah, so they don't want preachers going out there and proclaiming God's judgment. And and they don't, and I love this. In fact, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine from back in Connecticut. Um, you know, there are so many people who say are new to the faith, never read their Bibles, and yet are very bold to say what Jesus would or would not do in today's time. That's right. Or very bold to say what God is and is not pleased with. So if you have the word of the Lord and you proclaim that, there's still going to be people who say, nope, I don't want to hear it. And I, th- I think that's what's going on in verse 6. And the truth is, you know, we don't have to like God's word, but we do have to obey it. And there's a lot of things in God's word that, that we're not going to like because it attacks the sin in our flesh. Uh, it's, it's a hard struggle. Um, but I've also, the, the, a con, a, a, an encouragement, though, for our listener, if you're in a text and, and it's just it's rubbing you the wrong way, you know, wrestle with it. Stick with it, you know, and don't let that text go <laughs> until the Lord blesses right. you, right? Until that text has yielded up the, the wisdom of God. So, so, so fight with it and, and wrestle with it. Don't just gloss over it and go back to your hobby horse, your favorite scripture. Wrestle with the ones that you don't like and let God's word work in you and through you. 
And for what it's worth, I like the word they use for preach here. I don't think it's used very often, um, but the word is to drop or drip or drool. So, I, you know, I guess if we take it in that way, it's just sort of a, this, this concept of the words are just drooling out of their mouths. Basically, the people are accusing the prophet of covering the same stuff all over and over again. So do not drool out, O prophet, such things. Disgrace will never overtake us. And then, of course, he notes that they're doing the same thing. Um, it's kind of like when people say, don't judge, which is a judgment against those who judge. <laughs> right. Um, so, so here they say, don't preach as they preach. But still, this idea that the people themselves, it's not that they're not hearing the prophet's message. They've actually heard it so much that they're sick of it. You know, they're just like, quit it. I feel like sometimes as a pastor in general, not specifically about my congregation, but in general, and frankly, sometimes my congregation, right? We feel like we're up there and we're preaching the same things over and over and over and over again. And that must be how the prophet felt too, because as you said, it's not always fun to be the prophet, especially if you have bad news and especially if you have to continue to give that bad news and the people are saying, we don't even want to hear from you anymore. Well, and you know, nothing is new under the sun. I mean, the, the same heresies have been around for thousands and thousands of years. We just repackage them, we dress them up, we, we, we call them different things, but the root of it all is the same. And, and so in, in truth, we are, you know, as the church, as, as Holy Scripture, saying the same thing over and over again. Because, you know, like naughty children, we keep turning back to the same old sins over and over again. And by that, I mean all humanity, right? Right, of course. So uh, verse, uh, let's see, we're going into 7, 8, 9, which we've already yeah. read. Yeah, so should this be said, O house of Jacob? And this is, you know, so now he's calling back to, you know, the, the, the line, the line that the Messiah is going to come from. O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? And, you know, with that, I, I kind of was thinking, uh, if you look into the epistles in the second Peter, you know, he talks about, you know, the, the Lord is patient, right? He's not slow to act as some count slowness, right? He is patient because he desires that all should repent of their sin and come to faith, right? So the Lord is indeed patient, even though here has the, has the Lord, the spirit of the Lord grown impatient, are these his deeds, right? So there's, there's that, that sort of thought of, you know, well, what is it that, that is coming, you know? And, uh, you know, so the Assyrians are going to be coming, but also that promise is walking right alongside it. The Messiah is coming as well. And it's not that the Lord is impatient. The truth is he is he's really quite patient. And sometimes that means we have to wait. And that's a, and that's a hard thing to do. And it takes us back to this whole thing of Advent, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. Or it could also be translated from those returning from war. And then the women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. So these, if I understand the context correctly, these are continuing to be the words of God through Micah about the injustices done to his people, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, go ahead. <laughs> but at the same time, also going to be what what will be happening in the Lord's judgment that is coming. Right. But you know, but it it's really it's it's a condemnation of of the, the 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 powerful, and by that you know the ones who are rightly in positions of authority, right? The the, the rulers, the prophets there, uh, but also those who have just the, the practical power. These ones who sit in their beds and and devise all sorts of evil. 
uh, things are are really bad in in this in this place in this people who are supposed to be called out right to, that are being blessed to be a blessing for others this house of Jacob and so the Lord then is here we have then um, and and in fact you could you could argue one or the other that coming up into verse 10, this may be Micah, you know, sort of giving the, the, the prophet speaking, or it could be continued discourse of, of the Lord speaking. But given this context of the situation, O house of Jacob, where you find yourselves to be, what, what, is, what is to be done? And then we come into verse 10. Verse 10 continues, Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about in utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. In fact, I'm going to pause right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll be 12 in a minute. We, we want to so finish up our law section here, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Good <laughs> distinctions here. So, yeah, let's pause. Let's go back to the end of 11. So uh, at 10, it says, arise and go. This is no place to rest. But I definitely want to talk about the utter wind and lies. Yes. So what's going on? But once again, you know, we, we, we have this, this sort of mirroring, uh, this echoing again with, with Micah here. Arise and go for this. This is no place to rest. And right where, where was it? We were in the beginning of chapter two on the beds with the wicked. They're resting right. and planning and devising things. This is not a place to be, uh, to dwell. Arise and go. And why? And this is really... a. a Something that I think we, we overlook nowadays. Um, the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. You know, that that the, the created world, the effects of our sin grow and are manifest and, and can be seen in this created world. You know, as, as Adam and Eve fell, right, with, with original sin, the whole creation was put under a curse. We think back to the the biblical times, you know, what, what this land was, this land of Israel, right? It was a land of milk and honey. It had, you know, vineyards and and uh, groves and trees, and it was lush and beautiful and green. And if we look on the satellite images today, you know, thousands of years of of war and battle and fighting and division and 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 really just you know hatred of man against man and man against creation. What does the Middle East look like now? But not so much a land of milk and honey, but a lot of barrenness, uh, a lot of a lot of emptiness, a lot of destruction, and and we would be good to remember that the effects of our sin uh, are never self-contained and spread out to our our nearest neighbors, but also will manifest in creation in the way that it is destroyed. Uh, so it's it, we are so removed from the agrarian life now with technology and smartphones and all this sort of stuff that I, I think we never give a second thought to what creation that is groaning, right? With the, with the birth pangs waiting for Jesus as well. Uh, what creation is enduring because of our, of our sinfulness as well. I've always contended that Christians should be environmentalist in a positive way. Good and that stewards is that we, of creation. We are, right. We're supposed to be stewards of creation. At the same time, though, it's an interesting – we talked about those in-between places at the top of the show. And mm-hmm. we're still there. This whole world is going to be burned in fire and recreated. But at the same time, we still have to take care of it. 
And it's that it's that weird balance that Christians live in where we don't really have any hope that we're going to save the world because Christ is going to come and fix all that. But we're still going to do our best while we're here. Uh, and and I, but but with all that said, I think the reason why God gives us that task is so that we can appreciate how sins affect nature uh, and creation. And we certainly hear it from the Bible where creation groans, as you already illustrated. Yeah. But yeah, let, let, let's pick in here now. So you know, don't be in this place. Uh, you take a look around. This is not a place for you to be. Right. And then we have in in verse 11, you know, a condemnation really of, of the people's then. Uh, but really a condemnation of our culture today, right? <laughs> if a man should go about and utter wind and lies, you know, emptiness, right? Empty things. Uh, saying, I'll preach to you of wine and strong drink. Well, that guy would certainly be the preacher for these people, right? You know, the itching ears and people will go forth and they will not tolerate sound doctrine. We've, we have that prophetically again in the New Testament. You know, they'll seek out preachers to satisfy their itching ears. And this is really, it's the same thing. We're always looking for those who validate what we want to do. And so often, and I'm guilty of this as well, when I was a youth and I'd go see my pastor, uh, and on the other side of the fence, you know, <laughs> I've seen it as well. Mm-hmm. When people come and say, oh, well, pastor, I need, I want your opinion on this. And, and so often... Mm-hmm. If we, if we aren't wise like <laughs> Luther and say, what does this mean, right? <laughs> Tell me about this. You know, what what I was looking for as a youth, what so many people are, are, are finding is just, I want someone to tell me it's okay to do this thing that I want right. to do. And I'm not sure it's an okay thing to do because deep down we kind of know it's probably not, it's it's kind of sinful. But as long as someone tells me it's okay, I, I, I can feel better about going to do it. And so often I, we're seeking out those that permission <laughs> to sin. I had to learn this as I began to teach youth as a pastor that they were all always very curious of where the line was and all of these sins, you know, and I thought, wow, these kids are really interested in knowing exactly, but it wasn't so they wouldn't cross it. It was usually because they wanted to scooch up as close as they could to that line. That's right. And you without know, sinning. <laughs> now that I have two nature. boys, I yeah. uh, being a dad has taught me and has, has given me so much more empathy for our father in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> for oh, the yes. things that I have put him through, uh, you know, the sins of the father are being visited on me, right? So, yeah, my little boys, yeah. Well, what's going to happen if I do that? There's always that question. You know, how exactly. far can I get up to the line, or if I if I do cross it, how bad's the punishment going to be? Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Well, you know, and I love the language here. I mentioned earlier that the word for preach here is the word for drip or drool, and the word for preacher here, just another little tidbit, is a very rare word. It's not usually used for preacher. In this case, it's just a noun version of the verb to drool. So I will drool to you of wine and drink. He'd be a drooler for this people. You know, I don't know how far to take that, but I think it's kind of interesting. But then, but then we get into verse 12, and that's where we need to end our show today because, A, we're out of time, and, B, there's some gospel here. Yeah. <laughs> there's some gospel. Verses 12 and 13. Here we go. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, and I will gather the remnant of Israel, and I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a pasture, sorry, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, Yahweh, at their head. All right, brother. Well, just a few minutes left. They're all yours to uh, explain this message of hope. I love that we look now past and through this sin, past and through the judgment, 
back to the promise of Christ, right? I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, right? Turning back then to this line of covenant, right? That the Messiah is going to come. I will gather the remnant of Israel, right? That's that. That's And here we look really to see Israel in one, right? Christ, who has gathered, when he's lifted up, gathers all people to himself, the remnant. And he is Israel in one, all the people who have faith in the Messiah, here in the Old Testament of the Messiah to come, we on the other side of the cross, the Messiah who has come and will come again. This is the, the Lord's gathering. He will promise to gather. The, the punishment is to scatter, and now he will call them back and gather them together. He will set them together. And I love this, like sheep in a fold, right? And, and, and here we have that wonderful image that we continue to have of we are the sheep of his hand. He is our shepherd, like a flock in its pasture, and it's going to be a noisy multitude, right? A noisy multitude of men. So we're going to be bleeding and blapping and, and singing and praising and dancing. It's, it's a joyous and ruckus gathering in this family of the Lord. And then we turn to the Messiah. He who opens the breach goes up before them. He opens the breach, right? And what was it that took place with Adam and Eve and the first trespass? But a great breach separating man and God, right? Separating us from one another, separating us from creation and, and being then captive in this sin. Who's going to go and open that breach, right? Which is to tear it apart and now bring us back together, except the Lord God, you know, his Messiah, his Christ, Jesus they break through and they pass the gate, for he is the gate, right? He is the door, and the sheep will go in and out, and they will find pasture. And then the very end here, of the two natures of Christ, you know, their king passes on before them, Yahweh at their head, for he is both king kings and lord of lords. This is our, our high priest, our high king. This is our savior, Christ Jesus. He goes before us to conquer and to, uh, and to be victorious in all the ways that we have failed and to give us that righteousness and walk ahead of us that we may follow in his steps into the way that leads to eternal life. So this is, this is what is to come. This is his promise from of old and is going to be realized on that last day. And what a great thing to look forward to and to and to wait right in this in this now and not yet way no matter what happens in this world no matter what dripping preachers are there no matter what destruction is in creation this promise stands sure for you know the grass fades and the, and the grass withers the flower fades but the word of this promise of the lord endures forever I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Doug Gribbenaw. He's the pastor and also the mission advocate at KFUO Radio. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show again. My pleasure. Thank you, brothers and sisters. God's peace be with you. And I know, maybe a little early, happy Advent. (laughs) (laughs) I opened the Advent calendar, so it's Advent in our house. (laughs) Me too, me too. Happy Advent to you, brother. Now, tomorrow, or not, not tomorrow, Monday, folks, the prophet Micah is going to keep on in his delivering of God's judgment against the people, this time the corrupt leaders of Judah and Israel for their injustice and their greed and their failure to care for God's people, political and religious leaders. So be sure to tune in with us on Monday. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.